Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away, back, goal. Go, hey. It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I want to start the show with the guy we're having on today at 1.30. I am not down with every move. If you're a loyal listener to this show, or a loyal watcher to this show, a loyal listener to the post-game show, I'm not down with every move. Just, it is what it is. Never have been. You know, a lot of people who are in my position, an organization can do anything, and they're going to be like, this is great. This is, this is the greatest thing ever. I don't do that. And you know that. That's the trust that I've built up with you over the years. You know if there's something I see and I don't like. And what's cool about it is people inside the organization understand. There's a confidence that the A's front office has that they understand not everything that they do, people are going to love. But they're not insecure. They're not vindictive. And they're not going to go, I can't believe someone disagreed with us. I mean, the funniest thing ever is when we had Billy Bean on the field and Billy Bean goes, hey, how'd that Donaldson trade work out? <laughs> I mean, he was making fun of it. It was his trade. He made fun of it, right? So that's one of the cool things about working for the A's. And you know, I already told you I didn't like the Cole Irvin deal. I already told you that. I didn't like it. I still don't. Cole Irvin, guy that had a chance to give you 30 starts, 200 innings, at least 185. That's always knock on wood, everybody stays healthy. And to me, it would have been a great flip piece at the deadline. If he pitches well, we got our game start what, March 27th? Our first game is March 30th. March 30th. So he would have pitched March 30th. So if he pitches well, March, April, May, June, we're heating up, right? Next thing you know, what happens? Guys get hurt. Pitchers get hurt. And here you are in July, heading to the trading deadline, and you got Cole Irvin who's giving you starts and innings. That's like one of the most valuable things you can have now in baseball. A guy that takes the ball every five days and gives you innings. That guy, no matter really what his numbers are, that's value. I think, or I thought, I still believe, that you could have flipped him at the deadline for something. More than the guy that we got, I've even forgotten his name. Daryl Hernais? Hernais, yeah, Hernais. I think it's Hernais. I think he's like our... 
16th. I he was an A-ball guy. He's yeah. an A-ball guy. He was not even one of their top 10 prospects, right? No, he was like 16 or something. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think – so, I, I said that, but we move on. So, I just want to clarify, I don't agree with everything. I do agree with this trade of A.J. Puck for J.J. Bladet. And actually, it could work out to be a steal. It's a gamble that I would take. It's actually, to me, when you look at it from a baseball standpoint, if you understand our path, right, David Force, the general manager of the A's, is great. When he comes on the David Force show, he's great about saying, whatever you give me, I'm going to make work. Whatever the A's tell me I can spend, whatever the A's tell me that I can do, whatever Major League Baseball sets the rule as, David keeps it simple. And he said that because if I'm always honest and I'm always simple, I never can be caught in a lie. <laughs> it's like true. Yep. I mean, David is the most honest guy I think I've ever dealt with. I mean, you ask him, he tells you the answer. And he says, hey, the team's going to tell me what we can do, and I go out and do it. So the path that they're on now, this is not the same path of, let's say, 2013 or 2014 or 19 or 20 or this is a different path. So the path we're on now, this deal totally makes sense. AJ Puck, it is feared and has been feared that if he is a starter, he's a career rehab guy. Can't stay healthy. And the fact that you got what, 62 appearances? Yeah. The fact that you got 62 appearances out him like, "Oh my god, really?" He is what he is. He's in his late 20s now. He is what he is. And so you are you know he wants to start. His people are telling you he wants to start. And you're like, well, every single time he starts, he gets hurt. And he becomes a career rehab guy. And also, if you're a team that just lost 102 games, relief pitching? What are we talking about? And, and, and think about this, too. And I'm not trying to degrade A.J. Puck, but... What was my goal for A.J. Puck in the postgame show? Do you remember for the callers? Just to pitch and not get hurt. There you go. Stay healthy. I don't care about the numbers, but now we're going to care about the numbers. A.J. Puck protected early in the season, always pitching when the team was behind, was lights out. He got down to like a 0.7-something ERA. He was, uh, yeah, lights out, uh, lethal, whatever you want, whatever acronym or vernacular. But you're pitching in games that you're down three, five, He's just coming in and getting outs. Then all of a sudden, once he got better, what happens? The A's start putting him in situations where the team's now winning. And his ERA jumped well past three. I want to say he ended up pretty good, though, at 312. So you look at the overall numbers and you say, wow, these are really good numbers for A.J. Puck. But if you know where he started when he was pitching in games that didn't matter, to then, really, I mean, you lose 102 games, how many games really matter? But when he started pitching with the lead or games that were close, his numbers completely shot up. ERA went into the ones, the twos, into the threes. So, mission accomplished, he didn't get hurt, but how great was he as a reliever? This, he can be Josh Hader? I, I, I'm not buying it. And then now you have the opportunity to move on to a younger player who was the fourth overall pick in the draft. A top five pick. 
in the best conference in college baseball, one of the best programs in baseball. We call it the factory, Vanderbilt, because of all the players that are getting drafted, going to the big leagues and the minor leagues. If you are the number four pick out of college, can't always say this about high school, because high school, some people might say, eh, the competition wasn't so great. You know, it's like it's like back to the Trout thing. Like, who's coming out of New Jersey? Teams teams didn't even want to go see Trout because they already know. Kids not playing against anybody. Eh, too much of a hassle. Not coming out of the SEC. You dominate the SEC. It's the best college baseball conference. It's playing at Vanderbilt. We've talked about their technology, everything they do with their players. You're talking about a well-schooled player. And if you're taking number four, that means you are at the top. You may not be number one, but you are the top of every team's draft list. There's 30 teams. If you were the fourth pick, I guarantee you were at least top 10, probably top five as they evaluate. They know, like, if you're picking 15th or 20th, you know you're never getting this kid. But you still rank the players. Every team ranks the players on their board. He's top five probably on everybody's board. Yeah, he was. Um, he was great at Vanderbilt. I mean, a lot of guys, I mean, I mean, a lot of guys that come under Vandy anymore are going to be projected to be high picks. I mean, the kid this year was a Spencer Jones. They comp was there, Aaron Judge. But Bladey was a guy that everyone loved coming out of Vandy because he was a left-handed hitter. And, I mean, I liked him. I mean, I'm, I'm no scout, but I liked him coming out of Vanderbilt. I watched some Vandy games back then. I did. I watched a few. I watched college baseball. Maybe the College World Series or the games I go to in person. I'm going to game. I'm going to see San Jose State that play ha- on Monday. That has nothing to do with Vanderbilt. Because you I, turn on ESPN for the College World Series, and they have all these guys playing, and all their guys are hitting 300, and all their guys are good. You specifically saw this guy and went, I like I, this guy. I said future Hall of Famer. You sound like all those bozos <laughs> in football who go, you know, you turn on the tape. Oh, really? So when you're watching a Big Ten game – Indiana versus Minnesota, the right guard for Indiana. You watched that game and went, that guy's a road grader. That guy's that guy's playing on Sundays. He's a great pancake block guy. You lie. All you people <laughs> who act like you know everything about the minor, you're all lying. Anyway, but we love you because we need people like you. We need people who act like they know it all. But I know deep down you didn't tape the game, watch every at-bat, know who the hell he was when he was drafted. Anyway. Think about this. He is one of these kids that he's drafted. Bring up his minor league stats. He's drafted in 2019, fourth overall. So what happens when you're fourth overall? Well, number one's got a sign, two's got a sign, three's got a sign. That's just how it works, right? You're all slotted, and then you're going to head to – where did he head to? He went to – Short season what? Jupiter. High A. He went – Straight to high it's, A? It's in Florida, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's right here. That was his first, oh, out of yeah. Okay, so he goes, he only gets in how many games? Uh, 38. So he's playing 38 games. Follow me here, folks. You get drafted out of Vandy. You wait to sign. You sign. They ship you off just to get you some at-bats. 38 games, 2019. That's normal. Hell, you're lucky to get some games. So some guys hold out, want more money. He signs, got 38 games in. Then what happens? COVID. COVID happens. His first real season. 
So he goes through an offseason, and we're going to ask him about this in nine minutes. You go through your first season, your first offseason. You're getting your body ready. You're getting mentally ready. This is it. You're the number four overall pick. Your first year of minor league baseball. Your dream, your life, your future is right in front of you. The world is your oyster. And bang, COVID happens. And what happens? All these kids get sent to a camp, essentially. Like we had all our guys with all our coaches down here at San Jose Muni, where the San Jose Giants and San Jose State play. You get sent there, and all you do is practice. You lose a full year, a full year of your career, gone. And this is his first year. It's his first year. Wiped out. They weren't playing nine-inning games. They'd play five innings. Whatever they had pitching-wise, a lot of instruction. Great for instruction. Great for fundamentals. You're not playing. You're not traveling. You're not on the road. You're not getting better mentally. You're not learning how to play in real games. You're not playing against competition. You're not playing against different guys. There's something. There's things that you have to do to learn to become a good pro. And he was stripped of that. I'm not making excuses, but this happened to all kinds of guys. When you spend the entire year at the alternate site, you're not getting better as a pro. So he loses his first year. So now 2021 is now his first year. And do we ever do we ever truly judge a first-round pick on whether he's a bust or not on his first year? No. No. What was his first year? Uh, he played in Double A in Pensacola. So he immediately goes to Double A. By the way, yeah, this guy basically has only played in Double A and Triple A. It's not like he went to A ball. He only got thirty eight games in A ball. He immediately goes to Double A, and then last year Triple A. Go ahead. What did he do? One hundred ten games. He hit two twelve with twelve home runs, fifty four runs driven in, and a six ninety five OPS. Okay, so getting his feet wet. So the next year, they don't start him in Double A again to say, okay, you had your first. Let's see a start in double A. They immediately move him to triple A at, what, 23 years old? Yeah, that's Jacksonville, the International League. I mean. 85 games. He's 23, probably turns 24 at some point. I don't know. When's his birthday? Uh, he, he was 24. He turned 24 last year. Yeah, but when was his birthday? Oh, uh, his birthday was, let me just take a check, November 10th. So he just turned 25. So he's young. So he goes there, 24. Triple A, actually hits some bombs. 20 home runs. Walks. So he's got a good OPS, right? 835? 835, yeah. Okay, so then he goes to the big leagues, hits 165, has five home runs, nothing spectacular. This guy hasn't had a normal upbringing in baseball is what I'm trying to get at. You have an opportunity to go from a left-handed, eh, I don't even know what we got anymore, and he wants to start. And we know when he starts, he doesn't stay healthy. He actually never has started a game in the major leagues. Yeah, he never stays healthy. <laughs> to trade for a guy that I would have to say on the Marlins side, if there's a Marlins version of me, I'd probably be like, are we getting rid of this guy too quick? Are we giving up on this guy? Because we had to have given him millions of dollars. It's the number four overall pick. Yeah. Like, is, is it too soon? Did we get rid of this guy too soon? 
What did he sign for? Uh, Blade. What if? Let me see if they have it on here. Usually, give me a second because I. Well, I just I to me, you're, I'd make this deal. I'd make this deal in a second. You're gonna give me a guy who who everybody knows he has talent. I I read some. You know, I did my I did my YouTube scouting and, and started reading up on him. And there's people believe he's got a little bit of a hitch in his swing, but that. But what did he sign? He for? agreed to a six point seven million dollars signing bonus. Yeah, this guy signed for six point seven million, man. There's, I did, I did a little bit of research on him. But, um, but do you understand what I'm saying? He is never, he's not. It's, this is not normal. Loses his first year, starts in Double A, then Triple A, yeah. then the big leagues, and this is a this this body of work. It's like I'm gonna go with for now. Because we haven't seen it with our own eyes. I'm going to go with now. I want to get him in camp. I want to give him every opportunity. I want to work on everything that I think he needs to work on. We don't know that. I haven't broken down video of him. Hell, I'm not a hitting coach. And give him every at-bat in spring and just let's see. Because I will bet I got a better chance of this guy being an everyday player. I'm not saying all-star. I'm not saying by the time he's a free agent, guys are going to be signing deals for, what, $500 million? Yeah. $400 million. $400 yeah. million will be like. Uh, we might see two $500 million guys this year. I only signed for $400 million. So by the time he's a free agent, that's a, I don't think he's going to be one of those guys. Could he? I don't know. Maybe. But I'm just saying, a competent, competitive, everyday guy, if that's what the A's picked up for A.J. Puck, that's a steal because that's what we need. I'm tired of reading about what's the biggest pressing. I got all this. I got all this preview stuff in front of me, right? Oh, my God. What's the big pitching is not the big issue. I know who the A's have, whether they get outs or not. I don't know, but I know who they have. So I disagree that the number one issue is who's starting, who's starting, who's starting. I can give you a starting staff like that. We already know Fuji's going to start. Ruchinsky's going to start. Blackburn, it was a finger. He's coming back. He is going to start. Waldachuk. Waldachuk. Sears. Caprillion. Caprillion. Eh, I'm hoping. <laughs> Adrian Martinez. Adam Aller. Muller from the uh, from the Braves that we got for uh, Big Murph. I mean, I can give you starters. I got guys who are going to take the ball every five days. My question, what's the number one question, Townie, for spring training? How are we going to score runs? That's the question. You have to – I don't know. There's a lot of rules changes. Is the rule still you have to outscore the other team to win the game? I don't think they changed one, so, yeah, you still have to – You sure? Yeah, you, the newsflash, you, in baseball, you can't win without scoring a run. Okay. So you still have to outscore the other team. I don't know how we're going to score. So I need – and this is what the A's do. The A's get guys – we're, we're, we're known for this. We get guys that have had a little taste in the big leagues or about to have a taste in the big leagues that are about AAA who are ready to make the jump versus people think a dumpster dive. Dumpster dive is I'm now trading everybody for 17, 18, and 19-year-olds. We don't do that. So we need Ruiz, Capel, Stevenson, uh, Blade. Pache, we have a bunch of these outfielders who are young guys who have had a taste at the big league level, 
And now it's time to figure out, can they really be productive Major League Baseball players? We got a handful of them, and it's exciting. And these guys are uh, our future. There's no doubt about it. And I think, J.J., I think it's a, a, it could be a steal. It really could be a steal. All righty, I've been thinking about this all day long. And actually, all night long. Thank you, Lana Ritchie. All night long. That's our, all night. That's our good friend Alex Scott's mutual. That's his uh, go-to karaoke song. Is it really? Yes. <laughs> I have videos. I'll show you sometime. All right. I feel vindicated. And the reason why I feel vindicated, I feel vindicated for the show, too, is because we don't always give you false hustle. And I do believe there's a lot of people out there that give you false hustle. The king of false hustle, but he really wasn't false hustle, was our own Eric Burns. Because Eric Burns was just always hustling. People saw it as false hustle. Diving for balls he didn't need to die for, false hustle. But as we all know, as he continues to run mega marathons and do all the crazy stuff that he does, that's just who he is. It's not false hustle. But in our business, there's a ton of false hustle. But it's but it's instead of false hustle, let's call it false enthusiasm. To where now everybody's now programmed to just be like, everything is so great. I'm so stoked for today's pitching matchup. I'm stoked. This is incredible. Oh, my God, these players' shoes. Did you see the shoes? Isn't this the coolest thing ever? I mean, it's just like, my God. Are you serious? It's fake. You know, people are getting jobs in baseball now who've never worked in baseball. And then now, like, everything, they, they try and cover it like, 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 like other sports do. You can't be so excited every day. Like, every day, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. What's that Lego song, Everything is Awesome or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Everything can't be sunshine, lollipops, and unicorns, folks. There's one show on MLB Serious. I'm not going to mention her name or the show, but it's just like, oh, my God, you are so fake. Like, it's fake. We're not fake here. It's real. We care. I've worked in baseball probably 30 years now, something like that. I care. I want this game to be great. He cares. We're not going to show up every single day and be like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. Oh, my God, this matchup. Oh, my God. I mean, it's just seriously. If I have to hear stoked again like it's back in the 80s from people talking about pitching matchups where both guys are lucky to be able, able to go five innings, I'm over it. We don't give you false enthusiasm. We have fun, but we are also, what's best for the game? Let's discuss the game. And sometimes I felt like they were like, God, are we being a little negative talking about how long the games are? Because I get all you, all you super long game people call me in the postgame show. I don't care how long it takes. Oh, really? Because you don't have to get up with your kids and get them to school and get to your job and do all that. You, you could be at the ballpark all night long on a Tuesday. Doesn't work for 98% of the people. And I kept bringing you data. I give you all the data in the world that super long games, the ratings for television, gone. Uh, the meters for radio, how we in terrestrial radio register what the numbers are, they're all gone. They're all gone. After 10 o'clock, things just go off the. Even your precious Golden State Warriors, 
They the stink. Warriors. They stink. The precious Warriors. Can't criticize Joe Lacob and the Warriors. It's the greatest thing ever. Yes, after 10 o'clock, their numbers go down. I know it. I've seen it. I used to do the Warriors postgame show. Nothing long works. Long movies, long shows, long anything, nobody wants. Except like 2% of you. We can't do business on 2%. Can't. Couldn't stand pitchers. Couldn't stand position players pitching. It drove me nuts. We we Everybody wanted to talk about how we're looking at the, you know, let's validate real baseball. What's real baseball? Don't make this embarrassing, right? They come up with all this stuff, and you'd be like, wait a minute. You're worried about guys pimping home runs, and you're worried about all this kind of, but you're not worried about position players coming in in the sixth inning, the seventh inning. You remember last year? I think it was last year. I, I called you. It was a day game in Detroit. I don't know who Detroit was playing. But they start bringing in position players like in the sixth inning. Cody Clemens. I remember this. No. Son of Roger Clemens makes his debut as a pitcher. He's an outfielder. It was a joke. They turn there, and, and these position players are guys they don't care about. So they don't care if they throw them out. They start using their position players as a, as a staff. Gabe Kapler came on for the Giants after games and talked about, we only care about today's matchup. We don't care if we use position players to pitch. It's all about today's matchup. Tomorrow we'll worry about tomorrow, and it saves our bullpen for tomorrow. But we're just going to do it to – what? You're going to routinely do this? The worst ever. The Dodgers punted a game at home against the Mets in like the sixth inning or seventh inning. Now, this was now an easy win for the Mets. The Dodgers are quitting. Dodgers are only down like five runs. Dodgers are now going to position players. They didn't want to pitch guys for, I can't remember the exact reasons. Buck Showalter, manager of the of the Mets, who wants the win, flips out. Because the comp, you've just embarrassed the competition. Buck Showalter goes out, starts ripping the manager. He starts pointing over to Dave Roberts. The Mets... Don't want you to quit. You had a Major League Baseball team look to the other dugout and go, what are you guys doing? You're quitting. Even though you're now giving the Mets the victory, the Mets don't want it. They want to play the game and be legitimate. They had to complain to the umpires. Why are you allowing that? What are we doing here? This team is quitting in the middle of the game. Do you remember that? I do. I'm trying to remember when this. I'm trying to, trying to see when that was. Yep. Trailing the Mets 9-4, entering the ninth inning. Dodgers 9-4! Attempt to use position player Zach McKinstry to pitch in the ninth inning against the Mets. This is back on June 4th of 2020. And Buck Showalter's like, like what, this isn't 10 runs. This isn't 10 runs. This is – you can't come back from four or five runs in a game in, in, one, in one series of at-bats, in one inning? I mean, the Mets were like – I might have got the innings wrong, but I remember Buck Showalter was angry after the game, was ripping it. Dave Roberts was trying to defend it. It was like, you're making a mockery of the game. Okay? So let me give you these numbers. Last year, in Major League Baseball, not counting Shohei Otani, he doesn't count. 132 position players were used in 2022. 132. That's basically one per day. Slightly less than one per day. 
So what became the novelty of years ago, you're getting beat by 10 runs, you put a guy in, everybody laughs. This became almost an everyday occurrence. No more. New rules cannot do it. It's just, it, it, it got to be absolutely a- a- embarrassing. The new guidelines. Leading teams have to be up by 10 or more runs in the ninth inning in order to let a position player pitch, while trailing teams can use a position player anytime it's down eight or more runs. So the rule used to be, I have it right here, when the Mets were beating the Dodgers 9-4, when they, the Dodgers tried to bring in McKinstry to finish out the game, the umpires didn't allow it because the position players could only appear in regulation when the margin was at at least six runs. They were only down five. So we got to get rid of this. I mean, it's it, it, it was – so all these different things, shifting, bad for the game, right? Long games, bad for the game. Position players, all the stuff we kept harping on, all the rules have been changed. And that's why I say validation, this is the stuff we were complaining about. We knew bad for, bad for, bad for baseball. Other sports – People knew allowing defenders to put elbows into players' side and be grabbing players and doing this was bad for baseball. I mean, bad for basketball. Scoring was down. Can't hand check anymore. Days are over. DBs mugging wide receivers, even though it's got a little crazy now, but DBs mugging wide receivers, not good for the game. Taking quarterbacks' heads off and knocking quarterbacks out with concussions, not good for the game. It's not enough quarterbacks to play, right? I mean, you can look through all these different sports. They make changes to the rules. What's better for the game? Do I want to see Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Yammer Yager, beautiful skaters, beautiful athleticism in hockey, or do I want to see clutch and grab where everybody's taking everybody down? Playing like the New Jersey Devils back in the day in front of Martin Brodeur. Wow. The half-court trap and mugging everybody. Do you want to see... Beautiful skaters and beautiful hockey, or do you want to see a bunch of goons ripping people down to the ice? Watch the last night. Beautiful skating. Penguins beat the Sharks. I was there watching it. Sidney Crosby, beautiful they cha- skater. Did they not change the rules? Yes. They changed the rules to make hockey better. This is what we're doing, you archaic dinosaurs who don't want anything to change. You have to change. You have to modernize your game to make it better. And you know the funniest thing? Is because remember when we talked about it, even our own broadcasters didn't, you know. I mean, people did not like it. I can't, no, they don't like. All of a sudden, once the report started coming from the minor leagues, right, of how everybody likes it, the times changing, faster pace, the games are better, they're more entertaining, the get off my lawn crowd backed up really fast. Like, even David Forst. Our general manager talked about it was tough to watch minor league games, which was all good, to come back to watch big league games because it was kind of boring. That's a GM of a team. All the scouts are saying, oh, you're going to love the new rules. They're way better. So all the people at the big league level, the get-off-my-lawn people who never want to see change, I don't want my game ever changed, have all been moonwalking back like Michael Jackson, backpedaling like Deion Sanders, because all the data shows it's better for the game. Changes are better. And that's what we talked about. So I feel vindicated. It might have seemed like times we were being negative and harping on baseball, but we were doing it because we care. 
because we're not going to be the fake enthusiast, the fake enthusiasm show. Where once again, we're just stoked about today's matchup. It's so great. No, we're going to talk about the sport. Sport needed a change, and that's what's happening. And I'm happy that we stayed on the forefront and we talked about it ever since we created A's Cast. And I did this all the way back when I was on 95.7 The Game. I was always saying, hey, man, this is not trending good. Every year, we're trending to over three hours a game. You can get away with that in the NFL and in college football because it's one day a week. You cannot get away with that when you play every day, especially at times where it's cold, school's still in session. So it's tough. Hey, you want to go to the game? Well, I can't. My kids. I got to go to work tomorrow. But summertime comes around. Well, okay, maybe it's going to be a lot easier for parents to bring kids to the ballpark knowing that the game could end at 9-9-15 versus 10-30 at night. And, and American League, we trended longer. We were – I mean, it was brutal. It was brutal. So all these – my oh, changes to pitchers. Now we're actually going to call. We're actually going to – actually, no more rocking. You can't kind of come set, and, and you can't see my foot, but have the foot going and then stop and then go – no. Can't do any of that anymore. And baseball admitted that we haven't been calling our own rules. They're admitting that their umpires weren't calling the exact rules that they were supposed to be calling with pitchers, which is the same thing with hitters. The umpire, I mean, the reason why we have a pitch timer is because the umpires didn't enforce the rules. Get in the box. Don't get out of the box. Don't get out. Mar- uh, no more Garcia Parra. And every single pitch, Mark can't have to redo your batting gloves. That's what that technically is not allowed. Once you get in the box, get in the box. But umpires didn't umpires didn't enforce, so they had to create all this stuff. Whatever it's created, now it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. I don't see in any way how this is gonna be bad for baseball. The one, the one that I will give you that you go, eh, I gotta see it. It's it's the whole throwing over how many times you can throw over. But you know what? It's now changing. Is there anything worse than half-ass throw-over, half-ass throw-over, half-ass throw-over, where the, you're just turning and you're getting the guy to go back. You're not even trying to get him. So you're calling out John Lester? Well, actually, he didn't throw he over. Would, wait, John, John Lester <laughs> couldn't throw over. That's a horrible example. But really for right-handers, they just turn and just throw it to first base because they have to throw it because you just want the guy diving back. Unnecessary motion, no purpose. Everything now has a purpose. You're going to have a purpose. If you're going to throw over to first, you're just not throwing over. You're throwing over with a purpose. And it's got to be in a timely fashion. So I don't see how it's going to be bad. I just don't. Now, that that is, once again, the one rule that could go bad. We'll see. And that's one they could change pretty quick. But bringing athleticism, stolen bases, movement, 90 feet, more of all of that, I think we'll, in the end, we'll look, go, you know what, this is actually pretty good for the game. And I'm telling you right now, if you hate the, the, the runner in extra innings, there's no data to support you that 18 innings is good. And I heard Tim Kirchin and Buster only yesterday, 
And Tim Gurchin is like, Buster, some of the best games I've ever had, I've ever covered, have been 18. Have you ever heard him talk? 18 inning games, and they were great. And these are the best athletes in the world. I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm going to call up baseball players the best athletes in the world. But according to Tim Kirchin, they are. And they should be able to play extra innings and not affect. And Buster's like, well, Tim, yeah, putting guys out there for four and a half hours, potential risk of more injury with the amount of money we're paying these guys. Uh, so to, 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 to have games that are 13, 14, 15, 16, they ruin your bullpen. They ruin both teams' bullpens. It's, it's, it's just, it's pointless. It's pointless. And once again, they were talking from the aspect of playing, money, injuries. Why are we doing this? Tim Kirchner's just like, guys, it's some of the greatest games I've ever covered, which what the hell does that mean? Um, I come at from a data standpoint of no one's watching it. Like, I can prove to you. No television ratings. Well, first of all, how many times do you see a game that's in the 16th inning Guy hits a ball down the right field line, foul territory, and there's nobody there. So no one's in the stadium. No one's watching on TV. No one's listening. Who's this game for? Makes no sense. There's a couple things. Um, one rule that we forget about that baseball made that just helped the game. Uh, remember that three batter minimum that everyone was up in arms about? How much does that save it's the gonna game? Going to ruin the game. Going to ruin the. Um, actually, it's actually helped the game. I'm tired of seeing a, pit, a different pitcher for a different every every batter. And I'm a guy that loves bullpenning, but that uh, that actually helped the game. J.J. Uh, Bleday came on and says he loves the, the idea of the shift being gone. He thinks the pitch timer is going to help the game. And I know Jim Cowles came on and said he d- doesn't think the shift will help the game, but he gave a good explanation why he, that he thinks that why hitters won't benefit, which I kind of agree with when you talk about someone like Joey Gallo. Sure. Uh, position players. But whenever you always go to the one guy. Oh, well, yeah, I mean – just it, it's it's. I'll it, give you a, a good. All right. Hold on, let me explain. Because you used to be a victim of this. You would try and get in debates, and your answer would be the same guy. And when you have a league that's had over twenty thousand players playing it, and you keep going to one guy, that guy becomes what? An outlier. An outlier. Well, actually, he he is the outlier. So. <laughs> If if everything is always going to come back to Joey Gallo, it's hard for me to say, well, wait a minute. Is he the only guy playing? It's the same thing with Jacob DeGrom. Everything came back to DeGrom. Couldn't come back to anybody else. Comes back to DeGrom. So if your answer, and I've grilled him so much that we had an intern that was a Mets fan, and we would get it, and he'd always want to get into it with us. And what would his answer always be? DeGrom. DeGrom. And I go, Cody, do you now see the outlier? Yeah. When your answer always is Joey Gallo or Jacob DeGrom, that's not a good answer anymore. But, yeah, I mean, you can't just always say, well, Joey Gallo. Yeah. Back in the day, it was Rob Deere. Rob Deere used yeah. to. I, looked up, Deere? I remember looking up his numbers. Strikeout galore. Uh, so, the opposite for Gallo would be, Corey, I think Corey Seager and Hembo mentioned, I think Corey Seager is going to benefit probably the most as a left-handed hitter. Off of the shift, you got guys like Freddie Freeman. He's not going to benefit defensively. Yeah, well, that's that's okay. The Rangers will sacrifice <laughs> that for his bat. Uh, I think Rangers' biggest question. I've been reading biggest questions going into spring training. Do you know what the Rangers' biggest question is? No, it's not Degrom already not throwing on day one. What is the biggest question? Uh, I assume it has something to do with their starting pitching and no. Getting, oh wow, no, it's not their durability. 
Nope. Rangers' biggest question heading into spring. I read all these. I actually have it up here. If you want to go team by team, I could. Uh, if it's not pitching, I don't know. Left field. The left field is the biggest question for the Texas Rangers. Well, I know Garcia will be out there. Uh, I don't even know who the other outfielders are. I have to look at their roster. Uh, the one for us is, once again, what do they go to? Starting and it, and pitching. pitching. That's not the biggest question. Biggest question is not starting pitching. I know we got a bunch of guys who can take the ball. Biggest question for the A's, how are we – Write it down. How are we going to score runs? How are we going to score runs? Seven words. I have big here in caps, but I here you go. Uh, the A's in 2022. Now I know a different team. Uh, second fewest runs scored in the American League of 568. Third fewest home runs in the American League of 137. They had the lowest uh, batting average, team batting average at 216. The lowest on-base percentage at 281 in the lowest OPS. That's on base plus slugging if you don't know what OPS is. 627, that was the lowest. Those are the three lowest, third fewest home runs, second fewest. This is all in the American League. Uh, yeah, I, and if you tell me, oh, I don't know who the clo- – does it matter who the closer is if you're not scoring runs? No. If, no. if it's not Trevor May it's, – It's literally a worthless position. If you don't score runs, you don't have a closer. If you don't score right, if you're not leading at the end of a lot of your games, you don't have a closer. Because there's other there's other positions on the A's. That are, who's playing first base? Who's playing in the infield besides Nick Allen? As we talk, who's playing left field? There's all things that are they're bigger than starting pitching. Uh, you're left. Clint Frazier, oh. Mark Mathis, Josh Smith, Bubba Thompson, and Ezekiel Duran. Duran's a former top prospect. Is uh, that's who they have being in your uh, in your left field? Do you know who the number one question is for the team that could take down the Yankees finally in the East? This might be the year. Toronto. What is Toronto's biggest question heading into spring training? This is the best. I love these lists. Uh, they entertain me at it, night when everybody's asleep. Does it have something to do with Bobichet's defense? No, uh, no, it's better. It's better. Vlad Guerrero's defense. No, it's even better than that. This is the best. You're gonna. You're actually gonna. I'm gonna get a big chuckle out of you. Will Donnie baseball help the hitting? No. Will Donnie baseball play? No. <laughs> I don't know. Just tell me. How healthy is Brandon Belt? <laughs> <laughs> I told uh, you. I mean, that's every year. It's every year at the guy. Belt had knee surgery in September. His third surgery on his knee since 2018. Blue Jays gave him a one-year contract because they badly needed lefty bats to to to, to diverse, diversify their lineup. This is not the Giants. This is the Blue Jays. Number one question going into spring training. Well, he's going to be there. the he, hell the Brandon Belt. He'll be their DH, <laughs> which or he might he might give days for Vlad to play DH. Your, I actually, Mar- hey, your Mariners, Jared Kelnick, will he figure it out? I mean, could be future pirate if they trade for Brian Reynolds. How much production can the new outfielders for the Giants, that's theirs, as the Giants, as uh, old Mitchie Hanniger, now will be front of the program since I did the uh, event, oh, the Santa, Santa Clara County Baseball uh, Banquet. Conforto. Uh, Mitch Hanniger played in 57 games, and Conforto played in? Uh, ooh, zero. So between two guys, they had 57 games. Their projection, the big key. Uh do you know what the Padres is? Someone Tatis. It has to be. No. Will they bring back Jerickson Profar? No. And by the way, Jerickson Profar 
top they have a they have a bunch of lists of top 50 free agents they're all signed with teams whether it was their original team or the new team only guy not signed is Profar yeah Waka signed this morning with the Padres that was reported not top 50 free agent yeah uh for Padres would be is that offense or defense or offense or pitching are they ready oh Jesus are they are the Padres ready to take the mantle? It has nothing to. It's more of will you? How many games are you going to get out of Tatis? Oh, and where's he going to play? Your Pirates. Oh. How long does Ryan Re- Brian Reynolds last? Hey, he did say this morning he's open to an extension, but he still wants to be traded. So what do you want, man? Which one is it? Phillies. Can they survive the Bryce Harper injury the way they did last year? Can the fill the fight in Phils? Can they win a Super Bowl? Oh, Philadelphia, tough. Yankees. Luck. Who's going to be the shortstop? Tough, tough, tough. A few months for Philadelphia. Everyone talks about how their championships—they're loser city. Wow. From brotherly love to to choke job, huh? You lost three. You lost the MLS Cup. You lost in the World Series, and now the Super Bowl. Twins. Carlos Correa's ankle. Wait a minute. When 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 did this become a problem? Yeah, I know. It, it, it's he played in 150 something games last year. <sighs> this he had the surgery years ago because some surgeon out here for the Giants who's never looked at the patient, never touched the patient, never talked to the patient, never examined the patient, looked at an x-ray and went, I'm not sure about that. And now we're worried about his ankle? Here, I don't even cover the Twins on a daily basis. I'll tell you, will they get enough out of their starting pitchers? That's the biggest That's the biggest story, biggest question. To me, unbelievable. But I want to get back to the, the vindication. I do. Oh, don't, look, don't you feel good about it? Yeah, I was going to say, you know how much I hated position players pitching. And I mean, it was it was a, a travesty. A's used three of them last year. Can you name who the three guys were? A's used three position players last year to pitch. If I did my math right, it was three. I don't remember. Uh, one would be Chad Pinder, new Cincinnati Red. She. Is he, I don't know if he's still with the Rays. Uh, Christian Bethencourt. And uh, where were you? Oh, that's when, right. Bethencourt was throwing gas. Where were you when that Sheldon? Where were season. you when Sheldon Noisy threw some? Threw some I, re- I remember <laughs> Sheldon Noisy, and I remember Bethencourt. I do not remember Chi Chad on Pinder, the mound. Pete Pinder pitched in one game, he gave up three runs. Uh, Noisy didn't give up any runs in three and two thirds, and uh, Bethencourt no runs in th- in an inning. So Chi was the only one who gave up some runs. That's new red Chad Pinder. That 132 number you gave of position players last year up from 32 five years ago. So in 20, well, 2017, we had 32. Five years later, we had 132 last year. It's You're legislating against the front offices. That's, all, that, that, that's what baseball's doing. And you know what? That's what baseball should do. And front offices should always figure out a way to win games with what they got. David Force says it. We mentioned it earlier. Tell me how we can play. That's what we're going to do. So you start seeing that front offices, all the shifting. Got to change that. Position players, got to change. You know, position players pitching, got to change it. Baseball has to govern itself. Baseball has to make sure it, it runs its show, its game. And if front offices start tweaking stuff, that's not good for the game, but there's not a rules against it. Guess what? Make a rule against it. Because basically, you had too many teams punting games and saying, ah, this game now doesn't matter. Throw position players, save my pitching, which could be smart. But is it for what's best for the game? No. Is it legitimacy? No. 
No. I can't stand – I'm so glad that there's a limit on that now. That, I mean, I'm not a guy – I mean, you're, everyone knows this, that watches the show or knows me. I, did, I was just a fan of the shift. I know it took away action and all that. And, you know, I grew up watching the team that, besides the Rays, that championed it in the, in the, mid, in the aughts. The Pirates were good because of the shift. They were really good at limiting hitters from getting base hits. But then it started destroying the game because nobody caught on base. So, yeah, this is going to help a lot. The pitch timer is going to help a lot, too, selfishly because I've watched plenty of – we've watched plenty of minor league games. We saw fast it is. The average game last year in Major League Baseball was three hours and three minutes. If you shave off 26 minutes like they say, well, you're looking at two hours and and what? 37 minutes per game. So two. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times over the years I'm getting done with postgame shows after midnight. Yeah, it, that's it's ridiculous. In theory, a six forty. In, in theory, a six forty game. If it went two and a half hours, you get way over at nine ten ish, and you be you could be technically off the air by before ten thirty. It's ridiculous. It's so, how long these games are getting is ridiculous, and 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 and, and the other thing that. The whole beat the shift. Well, why don't they just hit ground balls? Why don't they bond? It's like, do you go to a golf tournament when Tiger Woods was in his prime to watch him hit seven iron off the tee? Um, no, uh, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say you want to no. watch him with the driver. Go grip it and rip it. When, whenever do we want to see someone, these great athletes, not perform at the highest level? And, and do, we, we really, I, I want to see Matt Olson bunt. When he was with the A's, or do I want to see Matt Olson grip it and rip it? I, I watch golf to see Bryson DeChambeau putt. <laughs> I'm watching Bryson DeChambeau hit the ball 340 yards because it's amazing. <laughs> that's I mean that, and that's what well, Tony. Why don't they just learn to hit ground ball? Well, how about we just get rid of shifting and you know we can make every golf course to where you can make the greatest golfers in the world. Or Pete Sampras. Pete Sampras, when he was in his prime. With that power serve at that's, Wimbledon was unbeatable. I say that's tennis for everyone who is a Pete Sampras. Is. If you there, don't know Pete Sampras, no, there are there, everyone's got to think of uh, Nadal and yeah, but Federer. no one at Wimbledon hit it like Sampras. Sampras dominated. I still believe he has the most Wimbledon titles. What you, you want to? You don't want to see him power. You don't want to see his power on that grass. You want to hear him just hit a little slider in there. No, you're there to see Pete Sampras hit it 118 miles an hour. That's why when people say about hit the ball to hit the ball down the third base line, that's like it's not like telling a quarterback to instead of throwing it right all the time, throw it left. You can't. You can control where you're throwing the football when you. It takes a lot of. Now, you don't want to see quarterbacks rip it deep. No, I no, re- dump off all day long. Let's just watch. Dump I want to see. I'm gonna. I don't want to say because I love the guy, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I want to see the Derek Carr check down on third and fifteen. <laughs> Live that. Uh, oh, the Warriors. They're the greatest shooting backcourt. What you you, you you want people to be able to go out and mug them, and now they're playing for layups? I prefer watching Seth Curry shoot an eight-foot jumper. No, 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 no. You, you should want to – if you want Matt Olson to bunt and hit ground balls to the left side, you'd much rather watch Curry shoot layups. And people say that's ridiculous. I know. That's what we've been trying to say. That's why this shift needs to go. We need to see the – Infield open up, not how everybody on one side of the field. You need to legislate against what's bad for your game. And if you don't like it, well, t- tough. You're ar- you're not you're not archaic if you like the shifts because the shifts are a new thing. Yeah, they want. I mean, but shifting. I mean, I don't know. Watching watching third baseman play right field. I mean, after a while, it's like it's not. How was that fun? I mean, for us, Marcus Simeon playing rover all the time in front of the right fielder, getting ground balls. and throw, It's like, this is just bad. 
It's not good for the game. And then you wonder why everybody's hitting 230. You're, you're, you didn't tell Remember, me one hit a week. One extra hit a week. One hit every two weeks dramatically changes your batting average. Corey Seager would want for if you take if he lost 25 hits in the shift last year. He hit like 240 something, I think. You add those 25 hits to his his average, he's up to like 289. He goes from being a whatever hitter to a that's actually pretty solid for a guy that they're paying that money to. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We love talent. It's something that in professional sports, we ooh and ah over talent. We love it. What we don't ooh and ah enough about is production. And why I'm starting the show with this is I think it's great when you have pitchers and catchers. I think it's great when we have these early stories and we got to make stuff up and it's great. And, oh, Fuji threw his first bullpen. Everybody was there. Mark Kotze quotes. David Force quotes. This is great. It is great. I watched the video. Yeah, he's a big dude. It was hard. And when he comes down that mound, I mean, he's a big dude and he's got a split and it's like, let's go, right? I don't know where my phone is. Sorry. Oh, there it is. And, yeah, it's exciting. It definitely is exciting. And hopefully he blossoms into this player that is devastating. He's an ace-like pitcher. You know, sometimes with professional athletes, the light just goes on. You just figure it out. Like, you just get out there and everything starts working and everything that you've been trying. Because when you make changes in anything you do in life, it doesn't go perfect right away. Doesn't matter what sport. If you're making hitting changes, if you're a quarterback and you're making changes with your delivery or you're, you've got a new playbook, if you're in golf and you're switching your swing, you're doing a new swing, that anything you do in sports, we'll keep it to sports, when you're making changes, there's going to be growing pains. But then all of a sudden, it all starts to come, come together. Bang. That's what happened to, to Fuji last year and, like, the last three months of his season. It all came together fastball, his size, right? He had gained weight, strength, split finger. Now he's nasty. That's all great. That's all great. That's fun. Let's have fun with it. Because, yeah, he has ace-like stuff, at least 40 pitches in a bullpen. (laughs) All right? We're talking about 40 pitches in a bullpen. Settle down. I haven't seen a guy throw that good coming from Japan since you, Darvish, did it when I watched every Single bullpen of his back in was that? Well, you weren't watching Otani. You're gonna say Otani stinks. I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna go back to Darvish because I believe he wore number eleven as well. I'm gonna tell you something. The guy that matters right now to me, the minute Cole Irvin was traded, the guy that matters to me is Paul Blackburn. That is the story you should be looking at coming out of spring training right now. Because folks, somebody's got to start every five days. Somebody's got to give you innings. If you don't have at least one guy 
that you can count on and you're juggling and you're like, oh, which young guy are we going with today? You're in for a long year. Somebody's got to be the guy. And the one guy you got that you're hoping can be that pitcher for you is Paul Blackburn. And he talked yesterday. No, that's not the big story. Oh, Fuji threw 40 pitches. Ooh, that's great. You want to go over there? Shiny new toy. It's Christmas morning. Okay, I get it. Let's have fun with that. But the real story is Paul Blackburn feels great. And he's the guy that can be in a rotation every five days. Fuji's never done that. That's the problem with the Japanese pitchers. Ooh, shiny new toy. They go one every six days. And you know what's going to happen because what do we do? What do we do in baseball more than any other sport, even the NBA? Rest. We baby players. It's unbelievable. But if you look at the first half, Paul Blackburn really had a good first half. Even though he got roughed up at the end right before the All-Star break, things started going bad for him. He had a 3.62 ERA, but at one point he was in the twos. Yeah, I have it right here. First sixteen starts, he, he was he had a he was six and three with a two nine zero ERA. Yeah, he was dealing. And then he had that real, then he had the real bat start. Give me the innings. Starts. Give me the innings. Uh, he threw eighty seven innings in those sixteen starts. And then after that is when it kind of started falling apart for him. There you go. That guy that pitched in the first half. I'm not saying he has to be an all star again, but you. you I need somebody that's going to start every five days. And Paul Blackburn makes it. When I read Martin Gallegos, I got it off my A's app on my phone. You can go to just MLB.com or OaklandAthletics.com. That was the number one thing for me because there had been this mystery. How's Blackburn's finger? Caprellian with the shoulder. Oh, my God. Like, What's this mystery like? Okay, Caprellian with the shoulder, not shocked. But you're telling me Blackburn's finger's not ready yet? Like, how long do you need your finger to heal? I'm not a, a, a feet and hands doctor, but seriously, how long is it? At? But all that's gone. Blackburn says he feels great. Great. And I know that's not sexy. But let me tell you, I say this to everybody. What's the best ability there is in sports? Availability. Availability. You can be the greatest actor on Broadway, but if you can't show up every single night and sell tickets, I got problems. What made Patrick Mahomes so great? He's got he's got a Patrick Mahomes ankle is jacked. It is jacked up. More than more than we knew. Like now the reports are coming out. I got a buddy in Kansas City who knows some of the people with the Chiefs. Uh, his ankle's really bad. What did he do? He played? He played. No IL. No, my God, we're going to limit him to like a like a Major League Baseball pitcher. We're going to only have him go four innings. No. Shoot him up. Let's go. Painkillers. This is the Super Bowl. This is the AFC title game. Patrick Mahomes showed up. He's a champion and a future Hall of Famer. So, so, you, so you let him play back-to-backs like the NBA doesn't? Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Availability. You need guys to play. We get too enamored in our sport with just the talent. 
Ooh, he throws 100. Ooh, he does this. Ooh, he does that. Oh, he takes batting practice. He hits at 500 feet. Can you mount the post every day? Can you show up every day and deliver? That's how you get a plaque in Cooperstown. That's how you get. You want a big contract? You want big-time money? Show up every day and produce. It's why already DeGrom, oh my, Strasburg, which is sad, Strasburg's career could be over. Like, man, if you can't get the ball every five days and pitch for me, you're useless. And, and I will say this. If you don't give me 30 starts, like how many starts do you have to give me if I'm going to call you a starting pitcher? How many starts do you have to give me for, for me to really go, yep, you matter? Everyone's different, but I'd say between 20 and 30 probably. At least yeah. 20. You got, I mean, we play yeah. 162 games. You're only going to perform in 20 of them? How many, how many starts has DeGrom made over the last three years? Well, you told me 38. Yeah, uh, 38 starts DeGrom has yeah, made. Yeah, and everybody's – oh, he's the greatest pitcher ever. Think about I, – I honestly think people don't think about it. There's 162 days that we play, right? Yes, that's confirmed. There's 162. If you only play in 20 of them, that's not a lot. You're not you're – not, it's amazing when you really look at the percentage of what starting pitchers participate in now. They don't start as much. They don't throw as much innings. So how much do you actually participate in a 162-game schedule? If you're giving me 22 starts and you're only going five innings in each start, you're not giving me a whole hell of a lot. So I, I don't know really what your value is. Yeah, you got some value because when you're in there for that little bit of time, you're really good, but you are in there for such a little bit of time. That's why I broke down last year the Shohei Otani. When you're Big Poppy or you're Otani or you're Edgar Martinez or whoever DH, you literally are only participating in two of the nine innings a night. People don't think about that. You listen, you get four at bats. So you're in a half inning. So four half innings equals two innings. So you're only participating. It's a nine inning game. You're only in there for two innings. You better be hell on wheels because you're not giving me anything else to help me win. You're not helping me on defense. You're not you're you got four at bats. If you don't do something in those four at bats, you're worthless. It's a, it's a game of productivity. All sports is a game of productivity. Like, if you're the sixth man in the NBA, you come in, you're not going to play. I mean, if you're Jamal Crawford, you're going to play a lot of minutes. Ginobili. But you better come in and be instant offense. you got to come in and produce. It's production. You're not there to play defense. You're not there to rebound. You come in off the bench as a sixth man. I want buckets. That's your job. Give me offense. Production. And that for me, Paul Blackburn, you want to talk about a key? What are the keys to the season? Find me somebody that can give me at least 25 starts. You're going to need that. You're going to, you're desperately going to need that. Remember, his first 16 starts, he gave up 28 earned runs, which gave him the 2.90 ERA. The la- his last five, 25 earned runs and four starts. So, yeah, the finger was an issue, but, and maybe teams started figuring him out, but. If you can get somewhere back to where he was the first 16 starts of last year where he was an all-star, 
He's in good hands this year. He can get the close to 30 starts. Well, and some of these young guys, you know, Waldachuk seems like a guy that he's going to be able to take the ball. J.P. Sears seems like a guy that he's going to be able to take the ball. And Muller, the kid from Atlanta, I mean, he threw a, a complete game last year in AAA. Yeah, here he has a one-up on a lot of these guys. So, I mean, you've got some of these young pitchers, if we're going to allow them, say, hey, here you go, let her rip. I but we'll baby him as we always do. But I some of them may be able to. Hey, listen, if I'm going and things are good, and you know I'm not I I'm not embarrassing myself. I'm competing. That's the one thing. It's like Pache last year. He wasn't competing. He stopped competing. He was just he was drowning. As long as you're going out there, even if you're giving up runs and you're taking some L's, but you're competing and you're and you're you're out there and it's it's something to watch. Yeah, the A's have those arms, but somebody's got to be the lead dog. So, yes, Fuji, 100, split, awesome. Cool to see. Biggest news for me so far is Blackburn healthy and ready to go. Because who's going opening day? Who who are you going to try and get at least 25 to 30 starts out of? Blackburn? It's not going to be Fuji, even though technically you should because you probably have him for one year. Yeah, he's a Boris guy. He 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 came here on a one year deal. He's Scott Boris guy. If Fuji goes out and dominates, he will not be in Oakland next year. So you know what? Ride him. Say, oh, you've never pitched once every every five days. Well, congratulations. You're now in Major League Baseball. Here you go. It's amazing how I think versus everybody else, but that's how I would see it. I would go if he throws well. No chance of resigning. Yeah, I, well, I, I can't say that. You never know. Yeah, if he has a halfway decent, you might be able to resign him. You for might. A, I mean, and and who knows? Maybe you say, "Man, we love this guy. He pitches. The ballpark really fills up." Because Japanese stars, you know what Japanese stars do? Make money. They put butts in the seats. Make money. They put butts in the seats. And we have seen that. Whether it is Ichiro Shohei, Japanese stars, Matsui. Matsui, Godzilla, I can tell you right now, my my golfing buddy Simon, who is English, is married to a Japanese woman, and when they moved here from Japan, he's obviously in tech, so he moved here, um, she loves, obviously, the Japanese players. So whenever Otani's in town, they're coming to Angel Games, and now she's fired up that uh, Fuji's on our team. So I guarantee you, the Webbers will be going to the Coliseum on days uh, Fuji pitches. Two Bs or one B in their last name? Uh, two Bs. Okay. I, I don't know why that was the first thing that popped in my head, but so everyone spells Weber different. So, yeah, Japanese players. I mean, so, I mean, let's just say he comes out and he's nasty. Jim, how are you? Welcome back to A's Cast Live. I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing really good. We're kind of... We're really excited about J.J. Blade. We just had him on. Uh, he's still in Jupiter. He is going to be leaving Florida and uh, heading to Mesa, Arizona. Like When we saw the trade, I know some A's fans were like, wait a minute, A.J. Puck finally gave us something. We all know he was our top prospect, right? He gave us 62 games without an injury, and at times he was okay. What are we doing? Tell us, J.J. Blade, what are the A's getting with a guy who was once pick number four overall? 
<laughs> I wish I knew exactly, to be honest with you, because he's been different in pro ball than I thought he was going to be. When I saw him at Vanderbilt, I loved the pick when the Marlins took him. What I liked about him was, you know, there's guys who hit for power who swing for the fences, and he hit for power at Vanderbilt. If I remember correctly, led NCAA Division One in homers when Vanderbilt won the national title in 2019. And Bladé hit home runs without swinging for the fences. Like I, I did, I thought for sure this guy would definitely hit. He would have power. I don't want to say can't miss. Cause there's no really such thing as a can't miss, but I really didn't think there was much of a chance he'd miss. And he's been different in pro ball. Like I don't know why, but he's become more of this guy who tries to pull and launch everything. So, you know, he does, he, he strikes out too much more than I ever thought he would. He does draw a decent amount of walks. So I think there's still some semblance of an approach in there. Uh, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I still think there's a lot of talent in there, Chris. I just don't know exactly how it's going to manifest itself. He's going to be this guy who hits, you know, swings for the fences and hits 220 with a bunch of strikeouts and maybe runs into 20 homers a year. Or can he, like, I actually think if he hits for a higher average, he'll hit for more power if he just went back to his other approach and let the homers come naturally. The last time I saw a lot of him in person was in the fall league where everybody hits and yeah. he hit in the fall league a couple of years ago. But I, I like the idea of buying low on JJ Bleday. I wish I, I knew exactly what I thought he was because he hasn't been the guy I thought he was going to be coming out of Vanderbilt. Yeah. And how much stock do we put in? I, I, I do put stock in this. I'm interested in your opinion because you're dealing with the entire league that here you get drafted in 19 you only, you know, you finally sign. They send you for a few games, played in 38 games. But then that offseason, you're prepping for your first year. Your dream is finally here. You've been drafted. Here's the roadmap to the big leagues. I'm ready to go. My first spring training, let's rock. And you show up and boom, shut down COVID. You lose your entire first year. You're hanging out at an alternate site, which is not even close to what you're Man. doing trying to learn how to be a professional and how to deal with the road and deal with playing every single day. Come out immediately to double A, next year triple A in the big leagues. How much stock do you put into that for a lot of players? Just not JJ, but for a lot of players, it's hard to kind of it's kind of like their growth was studded a little bit. Do you put any stock in that? Yeah, some. Definitely some because like you said, even if like a lot of guys didn't even get to go to the alternate site, yeah. I mean, JJ did, but even the guys who did, you're facing the same pitchers pretty much day after day. It's not real games. I mean, there were teams using coaches in, in the outfield to, you know, catch fly ball. Like you didn't have two full teams you could play. That said, that was three years ago now. And like I really thought when I saw him in the fall league in 21, and again, everybody hits in the fall league, so I wasn't just going off the stats. He looked like he was kind of just going up there, hitting the ball hard, and letting things happen naturally. And then last year, he kind of went back to you know launching and pulling everything. So I don't – I mean, I know it's, it's simpler than just saying, hey, JJ, go back to what you did before and don't try to hit everything out of the park. But I, I do think there's a good hitter in there somewhere. I do get more concerned when we've we've seen this kind of for two years in a row. Yeah, for us here at the big league level, it's like we haven't seen the no shifting. We haven't seen the pitch timer. We haven't seen all of this. We read the reports. 
We're hearing how the game is changing. We're now getting pictures of what the bags look like, uh, the bigger bags. We're seeing all this rule stuff. I mean, for some of these guys, now a couple years in, how is it just going to help overall players that shifting's gone, things are a little bit back normal. We look at guys' numbers to where we're looking at, just take J.J., for instance. You know, at one point he was facing the shift 80% of the time. How much do you think this will affect hitters, especially young kids coming up into the big leagues? You know, it's funny. I don't think <laughs> I don't think the shifts is going to have as a profound effect as some people. The shift changes are going to have a profound effect okay. as some people might think. Um, I think you can make the argument that you take the shift away or you restrict the team. You know how what how teams can shift. You know as much as they can shift. These guys who swing for the fences. You're just giving them more incentive to swing for the fences and you can take the shift away. And if JJ blaze still strikes out 28% of the time, he's not going to be hitting for a high average. Um, the shift is not going to help guys make contact. And, and yes, I mean, the shift takes away more hits than it gives, but you're still, you know, with left-hand hitters up, you know, I know you can't have three guys on the one side of the infield. I still think you're going to see the shortstop standing right beside second base up the middle and if you hit the ball up the middle, it's still going to be an out. Like, you know, it's going to be a little different, but it's not like, you know, I guess the most extreme guy we can think of, Joey Gallo. It's not like Joey Gallo hits a bunch of ground balls that are getting gobbled up. Joey Gallo's striking out 35% of the time. That's why Joey Gallo's not hitting for average. It's not because he's hitting balls at people a lot. And I just don't – it's weird. You know, this, this will sound weird. I think the pitch clock will help guys hit more than the shift change will. Shift change isn't going to help guys make contact. The pitch clock, it's going to take some getting used to for both sides. You know, hitters are going to have to be in the box ready to hit. But there's going to be no more of this, hey, I'm taking 30 seconds and I'm big deep breath and gathering myself, <laughs> and now I'm going to throw the ball as hard as I possibly can. No, I'm going to get the ball, and i got to be ready to go pretty quick. And I'm not going to be able to do, you know, take 30 seconds between pitches so I can throw 98. So I actually think – you know, or, or try to, you know, exert as much spin on the ball as I possibly can. So I actually think, like, you always have these unintended consequences whenever there's rule changes. I actually think the pitch clock may help increase offense. I just, I'm not buying the shift change is going to make that big of a deal. I, I really don't think it will, unless you had, and I don't think it will because we guys get paid for hitting home runs, not for, you know, I mean, look at Luis Arias just won the batting title and Twins traded him. Um you know, it wasn't like they traded him for a, a superstar. I mean, Pablo Lopez is fine. And a couple of prospects. It wasn't like they traded him for like, you know, some superstar. You know, Lisa Rise doesn't have any power and the twins traded him. I mean, he's got defensive limitations too, but you know, I, I just don't think you're going to see, you know, 50% of the league change their approach and like, okay, now the, the they're, they're not ganging up on me on one side. So I'm going to try to shoot some, you know, ground balls and line drives you know, th through the infield, like guys are still going to be trying to launch balls. So we'll, we'll see. I'll be very curious to see how it plays out. You know, I, I'm so glad you bring up contact because I started feeling like Clint Eastwood get off my lawn because I kept talking about, I'm tired of watching guys hit 220. I'm tired of talking about guys hitting 230. And then people coming back at me, fans, I've even had coaches, batting average doesn't matter. And I went, like hell it doesn't. It's a game of math. Right? This is a game of math. All of your numbers add up. It's math. The more hits you get, everything goes up. 
you're on base, you're OPS. The, the more you do, the more production. And But everybody kept trying to tell me batting average doesn't matter. Now, all of a sudden, we got into this world where guys are striking out so much, we're now saying, and you've mentioned it a couple times, a guy like, well, there's Blade or Kelly, you got to make court more contact to be a competitive player. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's outs matter. You only get 27 outs in the game. You know, and if, you, if, you, if you're striking out 12 or 13 times a game, that's a lot of outs right there. You know, I mean, now look, I get you're going to trade some strikeouts for power. You know, like Aaron Judge, if he wants to hit 62 home runs, Aaron Judge can strike out as much as he wants. I don't have a strikeout numbers in front of me. I know he strikes out some. But at some point, if you aren't being productive, you've got to make changes. You know, if Joey Gallo's hitting 40 home runs, you know, we could put up with him hitting 220 and striking out 108 times a year. But when he's hitting like 160 and he's not hitting for power, he can't strike out at a 40% clip. That's just not acceptable. And and I just think every like you have so many hitters seeking power. I'm not saying everybody needs to be just slapping the ball on the ground and bunning. I'm not saying that's the most effective way either. But if you're hitting 220 and you're striking out 30% of the time and you're not producing big power numbers, to me, you should try to make some adjustments. Now, that said, <laughs> I know it's easier said than done. I do think – it is harder to hit than it's ever been in major league history. Guys are throwing harder. Guys are spinning the ball faster. You have these pitch labs with these incredible cameras where, you know, I can go throw 20 sliders in a bullpen session and I might've thrown two of them. I really like, and we can look at the camera and we can see exactly where my finger placement was and how it came off the ball. And I can try to figure out how to replicate that. And <laughs> it's hard. Like, like I, I think, you know, you know, it, it's just, it's hard to hit, you know, and now we've gotten, you know, used to be, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it was like, you want to pitch down in the zone, down the zone and the hitters adapted and hitters got pretty good at, you know, essentially with a golf swing launching, you know, getting to going down in those pitches out of the park. So now you have guys with more angle in their swing and they're throwing 98 by you up here and you're trying to swing like that. I mean, I know I'm oversimplifying it, but I, I, I do think, it's very, very hard to hit, but I also feel like there's, I don't know if stubbornness is the right word, but there's some stubbornness to where I was like, okay, you know, home runs are king. I'm going to swing for home runs, and I don't care if I strike out 33% of the time and hit 210, and you need to care because it's, you know, they're very, they're, it's not like there's a bunch of guys hitting 210 with 40 home runs. There's a bunch of guys hitting 210, swinging for the fences, hitting 20 home runs, and striking out a ton and it's, it's just, just not productive. And, and, and I think where it matters most when you get to the playoffs and you're facing a higher caliber of pitching, good luck. Like, like if you're just an all or nothing approach or you're, you're, it's all, I'm trying to launch balls to my pull side, you get eaten alive in the playoffs. You know, and plus one other thing, I'm, I know I'm rambling. No, the other reason it's harder to hit. It's not like the old days where guys, you know, starts would go six, seven innings, go three, four times through the lineup. Now you might, if you get five at bats, you might face four or five different pitchers, and most of those guys are fresh. And so, like, I, I mean, I think it's a huge challenge to hit. But I just, and again, I know I'm oversimplifying, and I'm not a hitting guru or anything, but I do feel like some guys need to moderate their approach and make some adjustments. But I, I just don't think we see a whole lot of that. Well, I think about the A's going into this year. You know, how are we going to score runs? Because there's not a ton of power. But what David Forrest in the front office has acquired is speed and athleticism. And with the new rules, going to be real interesting to see how that changes in the game. Uh, one player, I, I called Bob Melvin about this. 
you know, Esrae Ruiz, we get him in the trade with Sean Murphy. He comes over from Milwaukee, but obviously he was with the Padres. Bob said he'd never seen him, but A.J. Preller and the Padres staff love Ruiz. They think he can be a great player. Keith Lippman, who you know, has been with us yep. for so many years, now retired, saw him in Double A. told David Force, I think this guy can be a star. Uh, so we haven't seen him. We just heard all this expectation of what he could be and great stolen bases and looks like we're going to run a lot more instead of the the swinging a's will be the running a's now yeah. uh what are we getting with ruiz and have you seen him much i have not seen him personally much i mean i've seen video it's interesting because you get mixed opinions like on the the high end you get like okay this guy gets on base he makes things happen you know he can steal It'll be real interesting with the rule changes where you can only disengage, whether that's a pickoff throw or stepping off the rubber mm. twice. And then if you do it a third time and you don't pick the guy off, it's a balk. So it'll be interesting to see like exactly how much teams run. Um, you know, you do talk to scouts who are a little more skeptical of Estre Ruiz. He does not hit the ball very hard at all. Like the exit velos are kind of concerning, like the old cliche is the back going to get knocked out of his hands? There, there's some scouts have concerns about that. I don't think he drew a ton of walks before last year. Um, so people like there's people aren't convinced like he's going to be this on base machine running wild on the bases. You know, I think there's kind of a wide variance in outcomes for us, Terry Ruiz. So it'll kind of interesting to see exactly, you know, what he becomes this year. I mean, the nice thing for him is he's going to get the opportunity to play. And so it's, it's not like he's going to be on a short, you know, he's on the Padres. Potter's trying to win. So it's like there's not a lot of opportunity. You know, they had a bunch of infielders. Obviously, you can play the outfield too. But they had, you know, it wasn't a lot of opportunity. When you play, if you aren't producing, they're going to go on to the next guy. With the A's who are, you know, rebuilding right now, you know, I would assume he's going to get five, 600 plate appearances to show what he could do. No doubt. And, you know, I think that, I think that that's useful. You know, I mean, like you mentioned, JJ Bleday, you know, not that the Marlins were like, you know, going to win the NL East. But again, I do think there's a little less pressure. Like, okay, look, there's no expectations for this team. Just go out there and play and show us what you can do. And, and sometimes guys blossom with that. Well, this time of the year is always near and dear to my heart, being a former college baseball player. And my juices start to flow a little bit, even though it's been a long time since the early 90s back in the day. But uh, I know you follow it as good as anybody. Uh, college baseball is healthy. It's it, To me, it's amazing the technology, the coaching, the data, everything is so – it's light years from where – and, you know, we – our conference was great. You know, I played at San Jose State, and we had Fullerton and Long Beach and Fresno yeah. and UNLV, and, you know, we're playing against Stanford and Cal and all the Pac-12 yeah. schools. I mean, there was great players, guys that became Hall of Famers. But the data and the training and everything is so far different – from, you know, 30-plus years ago. Just talk about how healthy and how good college baseball, the state of college baseball is right now as it's starting up again. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm, I'm getting ready to head out. I'm actually heading out to Arizona tomorrow to, to broadcast the Desert Invitational. We're doing three games on, M, on MLB Network, and then I'm also doing one streaming only, um, which is cool, kind of cool tournament with seven teams out there. But, yeah, no, it, it's funny. So when I started Baseball America way back when, uh, my first full year was 1989. I was on the college beat and I loved, I mean, I love college baseball. I love college beat, but honestly, back then you could probably come up with a list of 12, maybe 15 teams and six or seven of those teams were going to be the eight teams in Omaha every year. You know, you'd, you'd have teams sneak in. Um, 
the facility that I can't speak. The facilities, <laughs> facilities are as you know, Chris. Yeah. Like facilities now are, are crazy. Like everybody has like not everybody, but like there are so many nice ballparks with great playing surfaces and great you know batting cages under the stand. Like it, it's light and day. It, 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 it night and day. Am I making up expressions? But like you know, back then, you know, the, the great facilities were the exception. Now it's the rule. You know, and it's not just a great facility. Like, well, you got to add to it because everybody else is adding to it. It's like an arms race. Like you said, I mean, you know, the technology, I mean, there's there's teams, college teams that have pitch labs. And, I mean, we're seeing a lot of, you're seeing a lot of pro teams hire college coaches to be big league pitching yeah. coaches, to be minor league pitching coaches. Um, you know, I think, you know, because of this, there's more interest, there's more opportunity. There's a lot more teams that, you know, have a chance to get to Omaha there's a lot more quality teams. The conferences run deeper. Um, I mean, college baseball was was good. Good when I started was covering it back in the in the late '80s, early '90s. But it, it it's it's definitely like it, it's light years compared to where it was. Just in terms of the the you know you know facilities, like I said, the technology, just the things players have to work with. I think the coaching's better. Like like when I started, Chris. I wouldn't say they hated each other, but like, like pro teams, college teams, they sparred all the time. Like they were criticized. You know, you always all oh, college coaches are breaking pitchers, you know, yeah. this and that. Too many you innings. Know. Ben McDonald's pitching too many innings. Yeah. They're, 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 you know, there, there was not a lot of mutual respect, I guess is yeah. the nice way to put it when I started. And now like, like you see, there, there's all kind of like, there's a lot of great coaches at various levels of baseball and, like I said, you're seeing major league teams hire college coaches left and right. I think the coaching's gotten a lot better, not just the head coaches, but also like the assistant coaches. Like it, it's a lot better. So it is exciting. I, I don't think the college game has ever been healthier. Product on the field, I don't think it's ever been better. It's just you get you have so many more quality. And I, I I haven't followed this as closely, but I think there's talk that with some of the changes that we may get it's possible we might get a slightly expanded tournament. You know, the regionals might go greater than, than 64 teams, what they are right now. Yeah. I mean, expansion and playoffs has worked everywhere. We've seen it. Let's end on this. And cause you're talking about facilities and Billy bean, who's been to all the colleges, he's seen everything. <laughs> I mean, when you start talking about the hundreds of millions of dollars that get poured into college football and college basketball, well, you can only build so many locker rooms and weight rooms for football. At some point, it starts to filter down. And I remember Billy coming on this show, this is a few years ago, where he goes, you're not going to believe the facilities at Ohio State for baseball. You're not going to believe it. And I said, Billy, I do, because we see these numbers that, you know, the Ohio State Athletic Department's making over $300 million a year. Well, at some point, that's <laughs> got to go somewhere. And he's like, their facilities at Ohio State are better than anybody's spring training facilities guaranteed yeah no it's you're right i mean I, i'm a georgia grad it's the same thing georgia just rakes in money left and right and like they've yeah. obviously poured a lot of it into the football operation but like there's only so much you could do i mean i guess they could gold plate the lockers or something but like like you know there, there's only so much you could do and, and like you know it's not like that at every school but the schools that make a lot of revenue like in the in the power conferences you've seen them spend and like i mean that's the thing when i when i went to school at georgia in, in the late eighties, we had our, our baseball field fully field was like, we had bleachers, 
like behind first base. We had bleachers behind third base. We had the press box. It was kind of like little league. It was nicer than the little league field. It was like a little league field. We had the concession stand, you know, on the back of home plate, you know, facing out. Yeah. And like <laughs> you walked up and there was like press box that held maybe four people, like maybe five up above that. And like this is a true story. <laughs> 1989, or I'm sorry, 1987, back then. This is before the conference has figured out you want to have a host site. You can sell tickets in advance. But in 87, the SEC was still team with the best regular season record hosted the baseball tournament. So we had the best regular season record in 1987. Um, and they didn't have a press box. They literally had to go buy like a bunch of, I don't even know if Home Depot was around that back then, a bunch of lumber at Home Depot and build this like ramshackle press box to hold like another dozen writers or so and put it next to the bleachers. But now, George, I mean, George, I think, is getting ready to upgrade the baseball facility again. You know, and, and it's a nice stadium. It's, it's probably not even the upper tier of SEC stadiums. You know, they've got indoor batting cages and a lot. We, players used to have to dress over at the basketball coliseum. There was no dressing facility at the stadium. Like, it doesn't even look the same. Like, like it, it's not even it's not even close. And so, anyway. You got me going. I can talk about college baseball in Georgia. Well, forever. we dressed. We dressed with the football players back in the day. Their locker room was not. I mean, theirs was a lot bigger than ours. But yeah, we dressed with the football players. I mean, it's like completely different now. And I, I just got to say this: as a Georgia grad, how much are you walking around with the big chest saying <laughs> we took down Nick Saban in Alabama? We're now the kings of college football. You've got to be strutting around like a peacock these days. It, it feels pretty good. It feels it feels pretty good. Like uh, I'll say, it was pretty. Like I mean, obviously Alabama's you know it set the standard and like like that game was tough. That game was hard. Like that was a tough win. I'll say this year's win was a little bit easier. Like I I I don't know which one I enjoy. I probably enjoyed the Alabama one more because that was the first one and it was Alabama. And I will say, took a lot of pride. Like it was pretty cool when Nick Saban went out to shake Kirby Smart's hand at the end of that game. And he shook his head and he said, you guys just kicked our ass in the fourth quarter. Like, yeah, the Alabama is usually the one that's trained the hardest and all that. And, no, I'm very, very, very pleased. Very pleased. And just for our fans, because, you know, our fan ever – really, if you look at any fan base, ever since Moneyball, the book came out, and how our fan base loves prospects, loves minor league systems. Uh, once again, when are you doing these games da- down in Arizona on MLB Network? Yeah, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We have a doubleheader on MLB Network Friday. We're doing games Saturday between Tennessee and Grand Canyon. And uh, I, I, I'm streaming Tennessee versus, I think, UC San Diego on Sunday. And we're in, like, I should know this off the top of my head, but I'm focused on college and the minor leagues right now. Where do the A's pick in the draft this year? Is it fifth? Seventh. We got we got we oh, got they, we got hosed yeah. on the ball drop. Six. Yeah, and we were talking we talked Six. to Eric Kubota on our podcast, and he was worried that might happen. Everybody everybody who had a high pick was worried they might be the team that dropped and was them. And anyway, I was gonna say, like, give you a couple guys to watch. Chase Dolander of Tennessee is the best college pitcher. He's probably not getting a number seven, but there's a kid. Um, Jacob Wilson at Grand Canyon, son of Jack Wilson, who's probably the best pure hitter in terms of making contact. Uh, he's a shortstop at Grand Canyon. Um, he'll be on the Saturday game on um, on MLB Network. 
And I think they might be playing the first guy. I should know the scale. There's too many games. There's like seven teams, 12, 13 games. It's all you right. Know, we just know the there's games. Game we know there's games. That's all anyway, that matters. Watch Ace fans should watch Jacob Wilson because he could be the A's pick in July. And there, there's there's other talented players out there too. Well, I, I it's an exciting time as as pitchers and catchers reported today. We're gonna have games starting on the 25th. But I think for all baseball fans watching you guys over the weekend. Watch some really competitive, really quality baseball. I mean, we're ready for it. Once Super Bowl ends, I know we'll deal with March Madness coming up here. But right now, start a baseball, spring training games, and it's going to be great to see on MLB Network over the weekend. Thanks, Craig. You know, I was going to say one other thing that also incredible, thinking back to when you played when I started covering this college baseball. Back then, like ESPN had a game of the week, and it was like exciting. You know, you'd see Miami playing whoever. Now, with streaming – I don't know how many games you can watch, but you can, it feels like we can watch hundreds of games all season, you know, and then just the, when we get to the playoff, we get to the regionals and ESPN's got that whip around show where they take you 16 different regional sites and they're taking you from game to game to game yeah. to game. Like that's incredible thinking back to like how exciting it was. You got like one game a week on ESPN back in like 1990, you know, and maybe you get a couple regional games, you get the college world series. Now, you can watch all these guys too. So it, it's great. It's, it's a lot of fun being able to see these guys um, as often as we can. Well, we had Ben McDonald on, right? And we're talking Orioles A's, but I was like, Ben, when I was in high school as, as a, as an aspiring baseball player, you were a star to us. Like he was LSU, Ben McDonald. This guy's the man. I mean, uh, Skip Bertman. I mean, this was LSU. I mean, he was he was like an early baseball ESPN college baseball star. Well, he was, and if you remember, he was also the victim of one of the more memorable home runs. Like when he was, I guess, his freshman year in 1987, he gave up uh, a, I think it was a walk off home run to Paul Carey of Stanford. It's like extra inning game, Stanford went on to win the national title. Um, you know, he wound up going on to be the number one overall pick in the draft. You know, it's funny. The year he was number one overall pick in the draft, I saw him lose twice in Omaha, and he might still hold the – he had a bad blister. Second game he pitched, yeah. he just got shelled. And he – I don't know if it's a record. I think set a record for most runs given up in a College World Series game shortly after the Orioles had made him the number one overall pick. But, no, he was he was the guy. At, at that point, that was like year 25 of the draft. He was like the most obvious number one pick in draft history. Like you knew going into the year – Ben was going one one, and and he did. He was kind of Steven Strasburg before Steven Strasburg. <laughs> is what he was. <laughs> and I'll tell you, because uh, David Esker, head coach at Stanford, has had so many of our players, especially when yeah. he was at Cal. Uh, we've had him on the program multiple times. Wonderful guy, and, and we always talk about his great career as a head coach. But a lot of people forget that David Esker. Going back was on both those uh, championship teams for Stanford back in the eighties. I'm doing the the Desert Invitational. Ruben Amaro Jr. is going to be broadcasting, and Ruben Amaro Jr. was at least on the '87 team. I don't remember if he was on the '88 team. I, I they beat us. They beat Georgia's team at the College World Series in '87. And I remember Ruben Amaro on that team too. Yeah, no, it's like uh, I can talk about the College World Series forever. Like that's what makes college be. I, College World Series to me is still my favorite event after all these years. I haven't gone the last couple of years because now with the draft combine, it makes it very tough to get out there, like with the way the draft schedules move around. But anybody who hasn't been to the College World Series, it's a great event. Omaha does a wonderful job. Uh, you see great baseball. You're going to see a bunch of future big leaguers. I cannot 
but I think the two hidden gems in baseball are the College World Series and Arizona Fall League are, are, are still my two favorite events. Well, you're always fabulous. Thank you so much for your time. We're going to be watching you this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, MLB Network. You be well, and thanks for the time. Let's do this again soon. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. I always enjoy talking about it. Jim Callis from MLB.com. Nobody does a better job covering the minor leagues than him. That's why when they have the draft, he's kind of like um, Mel Kuyper. Todd McShay. Mel Kuyper. Todd, 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 Todd. Great athleticism, great feet. <laughs> he should be the one picking the draft. He's great. He's great. Evan Drellich is with us once again here on A's Cast Live. It's great to have you back on the program. I was telling our listeners, I'm on Amazon now, all the different ways they can get it. I mean, it's amazing how life has changed for us, right? You can get the audio CD. You can get the hardcover. You can get it for your Kindle. But I'm letting everybody know how to get it. I, I plan on, I got the electronic copy. I plan on reading it tonight. Uh, the work that you have done from the Chronicle to the athletic is second to none congratulations on another great book i appreciate it first things first you can hear me right yeah we got you oh good that's good no i appreciate the, the kind words i do the book took a long time and I, i'm really just glad that people have a chance to read it now it, it, i was i stayed quiet for you know the better part of the last three years other people writing and talking about the astros and 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 they're allowed to but i i it was hard you know waiting for this to get out into the world. Well, I want you to let our listeners know that when they buy this book, what they're getting is your time with the Houston Chronicle, all the stuff, all the research you always kept and you had yeah. in your back pocket. So when this stuff started to break, that you knew what was going on, you could go back to your archive. So people need to know when they're reading this book, there is a long history of information that you have had to back everything that you have in the book. Yeah, it's it's a three-year project in terms of me, you know, agreeing to a book deal and then actively working on the book, but it's really a decade of my reporting career. I mean, I mean, there's stuff in here dating to the start of my time with with the Astros uh, as the Houston Chronicle beat writer. So that goes back to November of 2013. Um, and, you know, I'm not the smartest or most, or most organized guy in the entire world, but I, I did do something smart in, you know, holding on to my notes and uh, in doing it in a way that was still accessible and usable uh, years after the fact. And and I, I do think the fact that I had covered the team in this period, in a controversial period, leading up to the scandal gives me a vantage point that, you know, I, I think that's hard to replicate, right? I, I was there and I covered a lot of stuff that um, really remained relevant. Well, you start thinking about sports scandals in the history of modern sports. And we start thinking about Pete Rose. We start thinking about the PEDs. You start thinking of, a, of Spygate with the Patriots at what point did you realize I've got something here that's major? This is a really, really big deal. I knew it was big from the start. I didn't know it was. I don't think anybody could have pred predicted exactly what unfolded. You know, I, I remember thinking that it was possible people would be fired. I wasn't sure people would be fired. I think I, I more felt it likely that people would not be fired. I did expect suspensions in hindsight. 
yeah, of course they're going to get fired. Um, so, it, you know, look, when I was working on it, it took 13 months to get the story done. I knew it was a big deal. I, I think the thought I had more was just, am I ever going to get it done? Is, is it going to get out into the world? I mean, there was a period when I first learned about it that I, had, I was unemployed. I'd been fired. Um, so it was kind of, it was a weird road to, to finally getting to the point where it comes out. But I'm, I'm very glad it, it did come out. So I was reading part of the description to our audience before you came on that they have on Amazon. And I, I, when we think about corporations, we think about the shareholders. You always got to appease the shareholders. It's about the money. And as it says in here, squeezing every dollar out of everything. We accept that. We don't like it, but we accept that about corporate America. But we don't like that for our sports teams. And really kind of what, 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 what I'm reading here in, in the description is how much the Astros, like it or not, were really run like an American corporation. And people don't want that from their sports teams. Yeah, I mean, they want some of it. Um, I, I think that's an overarching theme of the book. I mean, the, the end of my introduction is this is what happens when corporate America meets America's pastime. And, you know, there are some distinctions. Um Baseball is not the outside world. It is 30 teams, 30 businesses that uh, are in a closed circuit. You're not actually trying to put the other guy out of business, right? The Yankees don't want the A's to go out of business. They are all relying on each other to some degree. Uh, and there's a lot of movement between these businesses, right? Executives and, and staff go from the A's to Oakland, you know, A's, A's to Oakland, A's to the Yankees, whatever, right? Um, and so kind of more than most industries, you actually have an incentive not to uh, put everybody out and, and uh, anger everybody. And, and I also think it, it is baseball. We treat it with more idealism than we might say like Walmart. You know, it's not that they're it's not that baseball is literally the worst working dish, working conditions in the world. But for a long time, people were treating the rosters uh with a, with a money ball lens, right? Money ball comes out and, uh, and it's, well, you know, how can we get the cheapest, most efficient rosters? Well, what's going to happen? These owners are going to try to bring the money ball approach to the entirety of the business. And Crane was really at the forefront of that, Jim Crane, the owner. Um, you know, teams used to be a little bit more, you did a good job for us. We're not going to throw you out on the street. You know, some jobs don't really exist in the outside world in baseball. Like, you're a baseball scout. You you can find work, hopefully, but, you know, there's not a clear analog, right, to, to a regular working position. And Correct, you work yeah. long hours, you're on the road a lot, your pay probably isn't good. Broadca it's not like everybody in baseball is making Broadcasters. a lot of money. Broadcasters. I, mean, yeah. I mean, if we – people who work yeah. in sports and whatever sport you work in, it's not like if you say, I want to switch my career, you don't really have the resume that goes, hey, I'm just going down the street and getting another job. Right. And so, but there's also this reality that there's always a line of people out the door. Right. And so, uh, you know, these teams, the Astros included, just started acting more ruthlessly, more efficiently um, and, you know, squeezing out that extra dollar. Well, we can, this guy's making 80 K. All right, well, go get somebody making 55 K. They'll love to work in sports and they're right. They will. Uh, but the, you know, there's a lot of other examples besides just letting people go, you know, not giving people titles, um, contract stuff they would do, myriad different examples in the book of this this 
uh, bottom line driven culture that took over in Houston. Jim Crane is now a guy who's coming out every year and playing at the AT&T out of Pebble Beach, the golf tournament with the pros and the celebs. A couple of years ago, Jim Crane was on KMBR. It's the sports station here in San Francisco. Yeah. He does his interview. He's walking out of the media room as I'm walking in. I see him. And then I go over to the guys and I know, and they go, you're not going to believe what he just said. Off the air, he goes, Hey guys, you got to realize we weren't the only ones doing it. He wouldn't <laughs> say he wouldn't say it on the air, but he said it off the air to these guys, and then he yeah. walks out. And your book talks about this. How, you know, we we don't know, but it's kind of like the steroid era. It's just not a couple guys doing it. A lot of people were doing it. Baseball wanted to make the Astros. It's the Astros. They get punished. We'll put a bow on it. It's over. You know, really, what do you think? And what do you? I know your research is in this book. I, I mean, how many teams? You know, what's your thought on how many teams were doing it? I think this topic is complicated. Does someone else cheating justify your cheating? Right? Barry Bonds, the famous story is why did he start using PEDs? Because he saw McGuire and Sosa do it. Well, does that make it right that Bonds did it? But nonetheless, if you're just trying to trace how this happened, um, that that is what happened in baseball. You, you had. The Yankees are understood to be ground zero, and Chris Young, outfielder, goes to Boston, arrives in Boston's like, hey, you guys aren't using your video rooms to decode signs and then get it to the runner on second base? Like, what? you know, we had all your signs. Red Sox start doing it. So more veteran contending teams are doing this base runner system. Um, there's another question about does severity and cheating matter? Does the level of crime – is any crime a crime – or are there different degrees of crimes? Um, it's a misdemeanor. Most, what's that? It's a misdemeanor. It's not yeah. a felony. It's a misdemeanor. Well, right. And you can sit there and go, well, should the base runner system been considered a felony? Uh, you know, it, certainly the commissioner's office had some influence in how that was viewed by, by being really light on the Red Sox and the Yankees. But, but nonetheless, even putting that aside, you know, what the Astros do at home in 2017, the famous garbage can scheme, is different. You know, when you have the base runner system, what, what the Dodgers, Yankees, Astros, Red Sox, Astros on the road were doing, um, you know, you have the runner on base. The home system for the Astros in 17, uh, you have the camera in center field going to the monitor behind the dugout in the tunnel, and uh, you don't need a runner on base. It, it's entirely off the field with the assistance of electronics. And so there's something that really you know, maybe the base runner involved in the other system is a trick where, where you should go. Yeah, but they're still cheating. Yeah, they are still cheating. Uh, it, the, there's something m more flagrant about what the Astros were doing in the eyes of most, including me. Um, so yeah, we're, some teams, the evidence is that there were veteran contending teams. I don't think literally everybody using a base runner system. And then the Astros came in on top of that and said, we're doing better. We're taking this, one, two, three steps further. And they did. And, you know, this argument of, well, somebody else is speeding too. Yeah, but you were speeding 130 and I, I'm the cop and I pulled you over. I'm not saying I'm the cop, but, but that's the argument, right? Like yeah. the idea that you, you catch everyone who ever does anything, where? Where in the world does that happen? It, it you know, it, it like find me the example of that. It just doesn't happen. Thing that, I don't know if it fascinates me, but it really intrigues me. We kind of lived it at the baseball winter meetings. I don't want to get too deep because he's a friend, but there was somebody who works for the Astros that 
they were jerking around. And it, it was, like, shocking. Like, are you serious? And couldn't believe it. And then you just start to think of what people know on the outside. Like, you can, oh, Garrett Cole leaves. And, and you know, Carlos Correa leaves. And now it's Verlander wins the Cy Young. They win the World Series. He leaves. It's like every they can do whatever they want. It, and, and your book talks about it. Winning fixes everything. It's like, really, they don't care about the national PR. They don't care about the local PR. A lot of their decisions, like the person that we know, it was an unpopular decision. Luckily, everything got worked out. But to me, from the outside, it looks like they just do not care, and they win, and everybody in the end just goes, well, they're winning. I, I think they do care um, now. I, I think they've realized they have to. I mean, you can look at Dana Brown's hiring as certainly an image change. Uh, from from before right somebody with more of a scouting background you know not in the mold of of Jeff Luno and um, and James Click and uh, I I think you're you're on to something uh, with the idea that they were willing to just break every norm and and boundary in the sport Um, but but there is a cost to it and the idea that you're right. This is this is really the book in a nutshell. Um, does winning actually fix everything? And the 17 Astros are really the example of a team where that I don't think it did because they held up that trophy. They can still hold up that trophy. And the conversation doesn't end there. And so it's pretty rare to actually have an example where the bottom line result doesn't matter. Um, you know, one, one thing I think about, uh, and I, I mentioned at the end of another podcast, but it's probably something I need to mention more often. Um, let's say the Astros don't get caught cheating. Let's, let's say they never do it. And even let's say it could even take out like the Brandon Taubman incident, right? Yeah. There's still a huge book of all the crap going on behind the scenes there. And it, it's really hard for people to reconcile that, but they're winning baseball games. So aren't they great? Aren't they smart? Depends what you value, right? It, 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 do you care about the means to the end? Or do you only care about the end? Often in this country and the way we're conditioned and with fandom and yada, yada, it's very bottom line driven. But I I think the book succeeds in showing people there are other things that go along with this. There are other costs. There's there's a lot under the hood that you don't see uh, when, you know, a team wins 105 games or whatever it is. Yeah, it's a great way to to, to put it because, you know, we the A's, we just won an award for one of the best front offices to work in. In, major, in, in professional sports, just not in baseball, in professional sports. So when you say under the hood, as somebody who works for a team, I work for the A's, I'm proud of that. Yeah, okay, we lost 102 games. But, you know, when we this all ends up coming back to what? Moneyball. Where did Moneyball start? It started here. So a lot yeah. of great things about working for the A's that when you talk about under the hood, it's kind of scary to think, you know, because everything you get out of Houston is just so negative. It's just it, – isn't it crazy that when you – and everybody hears stories in the industry. Everybody hears about all these different stories. You've heard more about it than anybody else. It's just – it's crazy the success they've had amongst all the dysfunction. I would agree with that. I mean, you know, the whole story is messy and kind of shades of gray, right, because – Jeff Luno and, and the front office there, they did do smart things as far as constructing a baseball roster. Um, there was so much other stuff that they didn't do well and didn't pay attention to, and it ends up coming back to bite them in, in really explosive um, ways. And, but that's, you know, that's kind of another part I think that's uncomfortable is like 
they're not pure evil. It's they're not dumb. They did do some things that you could argue were dumb. Um, but, but there was some success mixed in there too. And it's, uh, I'll go back to that word. It's hard to reconcile those things. Right. And, and I, I think it just, people like clean, tidy narratives, stories, you good, you bad. And that's that. And, um, you know, that's very often not real life and not real business settings and not real sports settings. When you think about delivering this message, getting the book out, it, it really is crazy where the media, especially newspapers, as newspapers, I hate to say it in a lot of ways, are dying. We have less and less beat writers. We have less and less columnists. We have, I mean, the, the national baseball writer is practically gone in newspapers. I mean, thank God for The Athletic. It's great journalism. Eno Saris uh, joins us every single week here on the show. He's obviously here in the Bay Area, but I'm always pumping you guys. I think it's worth the subscription, whether you're a football fan, basketball fan, soccer fan, whatever, you guys cover sports better than everybody else. How important is it that you had the athletic and this is a place you could truly get, help get your message out that if you were working for a traditional paper, let's say the Houston Chronicle, knowing how much power the Astros have, could have been a different story. Well, you know what? In the case of Houston, and this is something I only really realized more after the fact. I, you know, I was still relatively young when I first got to Houston. Um, this is, would have been, oh God, two, 2013, right? So I would have been, I don't know, 26 I turned that year. Um, if I can do math, and at this point of the day, I don't know that I can. Uh, you know, very early in 26 my 26 is wrote, young. You're now in there with a bunch of multimillionaire players, a lot of pressure, right. and you're 26. Right. And so, you know, a little, I'm, I'm young and aggressive reporter, maybe a little naive. And, you know, I very quickly realized that people are looking at this team like they're, they're crazy and uh, that, that there, there is some sort of, there are questions about the culture. And I'm very proud of, of the story that I wrote back in 2014. Um, it, was, it was actually a story that, that when the Astros win the world series in 17, Luno makes a reference to it at the white house. You know, when, when teams go to the white house, white house to celebrate Luno, <laughs> Uh, he says, you know, they called it radical waves, but in the end we did it. Radical waves is a reference to to, to the headline of, of this story uh, of mine uh, that I did. But the next year in 2015, uh, the Astros tried to get me removed from the beat. They tried to get me fired from from at least covering them. You know, um, they Jim Crane, the owner and spokesperson Gene Diaz met with um, two of the top editors at the, the Chronicle and they stood by me. And it's only now as I've gone to work at other places, gotten older and realized, oh, man, there are places where that would not have happened, where they, they would have, they would not have had that journalistic spine to do it. And um, so I have a lot of reverence and, you know, really gratitude for the Chronicle for being true to, um, you know, journalism there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, it, there are, there are places that, and I, and I certainly, uh, worked at one but that doesn't have the backbone for that kind of stuff. Well, I, I will say this, not only the book, but everything that you've done, it's career defining. You will never be forgotten for all of us that work in baseball. And when we look back on this period of time, yeah, they can put the beard out there, which would be Dusty Baker. And now I think Dana Brown, they can put the beard out there, but we now know what's really going on on the inside 
and your reporting has been second to none. It's career-defining. I hope you win awards. I hope you're super successful with this book. I can tell you this. We're going to promote the heck out of it. We will promote it. We're going to sell copies, I guarantee you, because you know how our fans feel about the Astros. They're going to love this read. So thank you so much for your time. I know you got a lot of people you're talking to. Do, you're talking to. Uh, appreciate it. We're going to sell this for you, and congratulations. Your work has been second to none. Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate it. It's very kind of you. You be well. Evan Drellich of The Athletic. And these guys are uh, our future. There's no doubt about it. And I think, J.J., I think it's a, a, it could be a steal. It really could be a steal. Do we have him? Yeah, he's here. Well, it is great to oh. have you on A's Cast Live. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. We were just talking about the trade and going through – uh, your journey actually to the Marlins last year, to the big leagues. But first off, are, are you down in Mesa, Arizona? Where are you right now? No, I'm still in Jupiter. I will be heading out tomorrow morning. How ex- I'll, be, I'll get in around 5 o'clock. How, when you heard about the trade and knowing that the A's are a team, which we always call the land of opportunity, when you go to the A's and you play well, you will play at the big league level. Everybody in baseball knows that. How excited were you to hear about you're getting traded? And I know it's tough because the Marlins took you number four overall. You felt like that was your home. But you know you're going to get every opportunity in Oakland. Oh, it's huge. You know, I found out when I was in Nashville. And, yeah, there's that that little bit of bitterness, you know, right off the bat. But as you let it sink in, and like you said, man, plenty of opportunity. And and I'm really looking forward to uh, to, to making Oakland, you know, uh, a good spot to get things going and, you know, just – I think it's going to be a good fit, a great fit. You know, I think about your journey, and your journey is like no other, you know, and there's a group of you guys that when you got drafted, and it's the same thing for these kids who signed out of high school to go play in college that all of a sudden COVID robbed you of a year. You sign, you play in, what was it, 38 games, then all of a sudden you're off mm-hmm. season. Your off season was all about your first year of pro ball. This is it. This is what you dreamt of. And next thing you know, that's stripped away from you and you hang out at the alternate site. Just when you talk about your journey, what was that like getting ready for your first year of pro ball? Next thing you know, it basically was practicing at an alternate site. It was crazy, man. It's like when, when, especially when you're going from college, you have that, cons- you have that consistency of playing. You know, you, you're, you're, in a good, you're in a good position. Your body feels good. You're getting acclimated to professional baseball. And I, and I felt great going into the 2020 season. And then, bam, as soon as I got sent down to minor league, I, I was in minor league camp for a total of three hours. And then, hey, guys, season's over. we got to go back home. And that was tough. That was tough. There was a lot of monotony at the alt site, you know, when you're facing the same guys. Yeah. And you know they're probably not, they're, you know not going to call you up because of the lack of experience. And you're doing your best to just try and stay in shape and, and stay in that upward trajectory. Yeah, and to think about all your teammates and then all the other 29 team, all the guys that didn't go to the alternate site, they got nothing. They got to work out oh, exactly. with each other. I mean, it was it, it, it stunts, and, and it goes, and you talk to college baseball players, guys, it, it, it's just sad. You have to overcome that. All of a sudden, double A, triple A, you've gotten some time. Where do you view yourself right now? What you little time you've had in the minor leagues, the little time you've had in the big leagues, how do you view yourself going into this season? What are your expectations? The first thing is, is I want to win. I want to do my best to, 
to show up every day and, and, and go out there and put my, put my best product out there on the field on a nightly basis. And two is just um, having that sense of urgency, man. I mean, you know, I've, I've had that, I've had my feet wet in the big leagues. I have an idea. I know what I need to do, improve on, you know, and I'm just uh, excited to dominate the little things. And again, have that sense of urgency to, to go out, to go out as a sprint. You know, it's not a marathon anymore. It's going out and, and, and doing your best to make an impact right away. Yeah. I love that because the cool thing about what you're doing this year and when you're going to hit Mesa, Arizona, and you're hitting the ground running, you're not here to, like, impress people. You're not here to validate the trade. You're here to earn a job. You're coming to mm-hmm. spring training to earn a job. That has to make you excited. Absolutely. There's no there's no other way you want it. Tell us, outfield-wise, you can play all three, all three outfield positions. What's your favorite? Yeah, I've, I've played all three. I played a lot of center field last year, both in AAA and in the big leagues. Uh, but I see myself as a natural right fielder. You know, I played the most there in college. I feel the most comfortable there defensively. And, and if you're if you just put me in a spot to where, you know, you earn that spot and you're on there on a daily basis, good things happen when you're in that spot day in and day out rather than kind of moving over yeah. place to place. Obviously, I'm going to I'm going to do whatever. It doesn't really matter. But uh, right field is definitely like my most comfortable spot and um, center field and left field. A lot has talked about your approach, and you're taking that from Vandy. Just talk about patience is also – you got the pop, but you also got a lot of patience too. Patience is huge. Patience is hard to teach. You know, if you you know the zone, and which I I feel like I have a a good understanding of the zone. I draw walks. I know the A's are big on on on-base. For me, the thing was I got to put more balls in play. I got to dominate the fastball. If I can take care of the heater – uh, good things are going to happen on the off-speed pitches. And knowing the zone and being, being ready to attack heaters, you're just going to be in a good spot to adjust and put more balls in play and, and get on base. You're a great guy to ask this because here at the big league level, we have a lot of questions about the new rules because we didn't get to see it. You live some of it. So you, you, mm-hmm. you're unique. You got to play with the new rules and then get to the big league level, and there weren't the new rules. What are your expectations, first of all, for yourself, no shifting now, and the new rules, how will they help your game? With the no shift, I think it's going to be great for left-handed hitters. It's, there's definitely going to be more opportunities to have a lot of those hard-hit ground balls or line drives or right field become hits. You know, so that can up, uptick the average and just boost your confidence. You know, it's, it's, a, lot of, it's a big confidence when when that hit gets through, rather than getting taken away, you got a guy down the line making a, you know, a play on a 102 mile an hour line drive at him. It's like, wow, man, that's a hit throughout my whole entire career, even up the middle, not just right field. Up the yeah. middle, you got a guy up there. You're like, hey, that's a double play. That's that's a double play ball. I think the shifts gonna or getting away the shifts also gonna allow defensive player to show off their athleticism. You know, you see Jeter back in the day and all these guys making outstanding plays in the holes. I think it's gonna showcase their athleticism and make baseball fun again, more, more fun to watch on, on that athletic side rather than just, Oh, Hey, he's going to hit it to me here. Be ready. You know, if the pitcher executes his pitch and um, what was the other part of that question? Sorry. Well, and one I want you also to address, cause we haven't seen it yet, uh, but everybody's really, you know, a lot of people hated it at first, but I think everybody's now com- coming on board the pitch timer and how much faster games are. I personally like it. I think it's good for baseball to kind of uptick the game. And again, it's guys are going to be pissed off for the first week or two, 
And then they're going to finally get into that rhythm of, oh, it's, it's really not that bad. It, it's just a very subtle change. Walk-up songs aren't going to be as cool. You won't be able to embrace them as much <laughs> as you're going to the plate. But to me, that's really not that big of a deal. I'm the guy. I'm a guy that just goes up there ready to hit yeah. anyway. So, so I think it's good for baseball. It's gonna, it's gonna allow fans to kind of keep their, keep their, uh, what is it? Their, their focus on the game a little bit better and just speed up games a tick more. You know, nothing crazy. People think, oh, it's gonna be crazy, crazy, but it's really not. It's gonna be second nature probably come that first or second week. Well, we have Tony Kemp on the team, who's a Vandy guy, and we've learned a lot about Vanderbilt. Obviously, the nickname, the factory, for a reason. Uh, it's a great program, been using technology at the, I mean, at one point Vanderbilt not only used more technology, but I would say they understood how to use the technology more than any big league team. It's pretty fascinating, the stuff that they do with the hospital. And I just, just talk about when you're coming from a program like that, how you were schooled, how you were developed and everything you learned from this great university and this program. You know, Vandy's, Vandy's awesome for a number of reasons. One is because all these companies want to have them test out their products, and Vandy's, you know, top of the list to have that happen, both on the pitcher side and on the hitter side. And it grooms you into this being a disciplined hitter. You know, obviously you still have to have that talent and you have to have that competitiveness nature to be able to play there. But having all those products and using the data properly to help you out, um, it's next to none. And honestly, I, I'd argue I even you, you even get better – um, data and metrics there than I did with the Marlins. So, you know, obviously different, different types of usage with the stuff, you know, the Marlins had their way and, you know, it's great too, but, um, definitely more attention in detail, put it that way. When it was, um, when I was at Vandy with the, with the, with the metrics. And that's, you know, getting back to what you said earlier about being able to, you know, be able to hunt a little more and make more contact. I mean, obviously, I looked at the numbers of what you did at Vandy, dominating the SEC, which is the best baseball conference. I mean, getting back to that approach at the big league level, you do that, less shifting, I got to think batting average goes up. 100%. And, I, and I've and i made some great adjustments kind of going back to how I moved in college, you know, using my lower half a little bit more, less head movement, getting into a position to fire each swing. And I'm not going to be perfect all the time. But if you can spit out something consistently on a on a pitch to pitch basis, yeah, you're going to be able to put more balls in play, and that average ticks up, and you're 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 dominating the zone. Let's end on this. I don't know how much you know about Oakland. I mean, the Mar Marlins came. Were, were you here when the Marlins? I came was. I, I was here. I had a good series here. Um, it was towards the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. Well, get ready because you're going to hear the drummers. Yeah, our, our crowd gets wild, especially when we start winning, and you're going to help get us back on track. We start next thing you know, they'll be making posters of you, T-shirts of you. Our fans go nuts. Are you ready for some? You ready for more like of a college football atmosphere? Chris, I've I've been born ready for this, man. I'm 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 really pumped up for this opportunity. I think it's going to be great, and I'm going to go balls to the wall every day to to give everything I got to to make this franchise and or to help this franchise and and put those fans in the stands because I mean you guys have been you guys make a playoffs almost every four years, you know, and, yep. and that, that in itself is a success. That's hard to do. That's, that's not easy. And 
And that speaks to volumes of the front office and doing their best to kind of put the best product on the field every night. Well, I got to tell you, we're loving this trade. We're loving having you. And I know A's fans are, are really digging it. We think you can be a really special player and really help us get back on track. So looking forward to seeing you. Mesa will be down there on the 21st. I know you're going to be heading there soon. Safe travels. Congratulations on the trade. It's going to be big for your, your career. And we'll see you in the Valley of the Sun. Thanks, Chris. I'm ready to get to work. Great stuff. J.J. Blade, new outfielder for the Oakland A. If that doesn't pump you up, I don't know what does. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.